Chris, got an important question for you. I noticed a few months ago, maybe even a year ago, that you ordered something like several thousand uh, pounds of weights uh, to your house f- for to build what I assume was a home gym. So first, I wanted to know, what is it like to order what I would say is the uh, the worst thing that you can order online and have shipped would be would be weights. I, I, don't, I can't think of anything. Maybe water would be more expensive. Just like, you know, pounds and pounds of lead or something so, along those lines. Yeah. So exactly how many – I think I'm probably exaggerating. How many pounds – because it was a full rack. It was everything. How many pounds of, of weight and workout equipment did you actually – uh, order well, so th- there were two two orders. Like in the initial thing, one was like the rack itself, and that was a few hundred pounds of just the steel. Right, this is like one of those like power racks. Or yeah, power yeah, clean right. So it's, it's a road Frostbite rack, kind of and, thing. yeah. Uh-huh. So um, I figured I needed a hobby, and so maybe I should start lifting weights again. And um, and you know, if I'm going to have a hobby, I should just go all in. So it's like you know, I could go to the gym, or I could just buy several thousand dollars worth of weights that stare at me every time I drive into my garage. So uh-huh. well, we also also there's a little fact here people don't know. It's like you have three young children, right? Yes. So driving to the gym, while probably seems like the ideal solution, is not actually something you could easily do. Yeah, and they're three children that don't sleep, right? Like they, <laughs> they wake up and they come downstairs and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm trying to lift weights. I'm trying to, you know, stay healthy. Come on, go back to bed, please. Um, it was really interesting when you, when you buy the first, like when you buy the rack, it's enormous, right? Uh-huh. And it shows up on a, like a UPS freight truck, right? Okay. So it takes a while for that to get there. And then the thing was so long that, like, this guy shows up, and he's by himself. He's the driver, and he's got, like, one of those handheld pallet jacks. And it was the most interesting thing. To, like, when you see someone who's, like, really good at their job and it's completely outside of your domain, like, this thing's hanging off. Like, I'm looking at center of gravity, and it's hanging off the back end of it. I'm like, this thing's going to fall. Like, I don't want to be anywhere near there. I was like, do you need help? Please say no. And uh, <laughs> he's like, no, I got it. Just stand back. I was like, cool, I'm good. And, yeah, so he's moving it around, and eventually he gets it. And uh they just drop it off in your garage, and then you disassemble it, and then reassemble it where you want it. So okay, and then you did you actually like the plates? The, the, so the plates I uh-huh. bought from a local Austin place okay, called so Fringe that, Sport, right? right. So mm-hmm. that was just you know load up my wife's SUV, and that was another. I think I think the initial one was somewhere around uh, four hundred pounds. Uh, okay. of plates and you know i went back for a couple like more what i bench you know just yeah just, you know just I'm, I'm not at your level but i'm working there <laughs> um so yeah that was that was you know that was fun um just loaded up her car they did like i, I showed up and i was like hey i want to get this plate set and they're like oh you want like the entry one i'm like no no i want like two steps up with with you know the 400 pounds or something and the guy kind of looks at me he's like really and i was like come on man so, but you know, know like this, the salesman like disrespects you. You're yeah, like, exactly. You're like, you know He's what? Like, huh. You know what? Throw another four hundred in there too. Well, I came uh... back like a month later, and I was like, I need more plates. What's up? So he's like, I don't <laughs> and remember you. I need the you. same salesman that yeah. was helping me. It before. was the same salesman. He was still there, but he didn't remember. He's like, well, that's fine. Like only two. I was like, come on. All right. So did you? So then you did all this. You set it all up. Yep. Right, and it's it's in the garage. It is. So it's like a, it's a full on. And yep. then, it's bolted um, to the ground. All that. And then, so did you like? Can you not park a? Uh, it's not one of these that folds up, right? Is like is it, it does, and this one's a permanent structure. So okay. um, we have a, a tandem garage. So it is like a it's like a three and a half car garage. Yeah, like so a, it a looks like a two car garage, and then it's got a space for like I don't know a yacht in the back, and so that is full of the three children's lovely toys. <laughs> That's right, and my weights and a bench and like camping gear I moved here 10 years ago and I've never used. Um, you know, the <laughs> typical stuff you have in a garage, so. I love it. And then so and then how much you you look good. So you've been you've been working out. You you may be modest about that, but you look like you've 
clearly, uh, you know, put on some muscle, trimmed up a little bit since uh, I first met you. So uh, do you actually get to work out a couple times a week? How does it work? You know, I did for a while. So when I started this, I actually only had two kids, right? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I got some free time Correlation, again. Correlation, causation. Yeah, Look right. a little bit better. <laughs> You Their know. kid shows up. Let, hey, baby, I'll look let, at me. I'm going to let yeah. the uh, listeners draw their Yeah, exactly, right? So, um, But, yeah, every time uh, every time life has got easy in the last <laughs> nine years or so, my wife and I have been like, hey, why don't we have a baby? Um, and so, you know, now that I have another kid, there was, like, a big push. Uh-huh. And I hit, I hit a couple of goals I wanted to get to, which was good right before that kiddo was born. Right. And then things got a little crazy for a while, and I tapered off. And then I kind of got back into it, and then – Recently, I've been a little busy and got a little sick and you know slowed, but I'm getting back into it. So, back into it. All right. You know, okay. it happens anywhere from one to four times a week, and my target is three to four, and that's great <laughs> if I get three. That's good. Uh, you, well, I I think you've done tremendous work. I'm I'm impressed with you. So, and I think you know sort of that that mantra, right, of uh, you know stability to chaos. I think to some degree uh, maybe reminds at least reminds me a little bit of both my career and the products I worked on and I thought as I, I looked over um, as we were getting prepared for this looking over your resume and stuff it's like I thought like your job titles because you started you know your career at least job title wise which we all know job titles but you kind of started with support titles and then yep. you went to operations then you went to automation right and I think that sort of encapsulates like the entire trend like since you and I have maybe been doing technology right it's sort of like that's kind of the 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 mantra or the the wave that has gone kind of from this idea of support all the way into automation and i think <laughs> to your point about like uh, having another kid it's it's it, while it's not at all the same it's sort of like this in life right with your job it's like ah oh, well we got it all figured out we know how to do support well turns out we're not doing that anymore we're doing something else yeah exactly um, right we, we always joke about like hey we'll just automate our jobs and then we can just sit around and drink margaritas and have fun it's like, no you automate your job and then you have 10 more jobs to do <laughs> exactly and then you automate those 10 now you have 100 more it's like you never get your time back you just get more efficient yeah so um so first let's say where you are first uh currently you are give me give me your full title because i want i want to make sure i do it justice what you are currently the director of automation i'm the senior director of automation which is just a title um, uh-huh. at axiom and then axiom tell us a little bit about what axiom does so nobody knows axiom um, but we know all about you right so we're a data broker right mm-hmm. and we help enable marketers um, and marketing departments be more efficient with their campaigns um, and their advertising right so we have a lot of different business models um, and different products and services, but essentially it's about letting people leverage their own data, combining it with our data, and making it more pertinent and uh, more directed at their end, um, you know, their end targets. Yeah, so I think you're sort of the eye of the storm right now in IT, right? I think just your job. Right? Obviously, I assume there's a lot of security concerns with like having so much data. I, I would assume there's <laughs> absolutely where yeah. uh, our CISO goes and talks to Congress and things like that. Yeah, so yeah, I think you have that, and then of course, like you're, you know, as we move to the cloud, operations, automation. So I think it's, you know, it's a fantastic, you know, time to kind of look at what you guys are doing. But let's go back. Let's start at the beginning because I think that. I'll sort of, you know, give us some context to go for it. So you started your career. I was looking at. It looked like you graduated with, a, and let's start with this with a computer science major, right? Yep. Um, and I, I thought, and then you went into, as I can tell, on, on our all manicured uh, LinkedIn profiles, because yeah. who knows what really happened? But according to LinkedIn, <laughs> what you doing? Is, is you found your way in to uh, support at Sun Microsystems. Yes. And uh, but I wanted to start with just like as you were coming out of school, because I think you know when people come out with computer science degrees. Uh, 
different mindsets usually emerge. There's people that just like truly want to like build compilers and like want to work on algorithms, you know, like a very like almost an abstract or academic sense of computer science. There are people that just want to like become consultants. There are people want to become like developers. And then uh, I think you're on like a, an interesting track, right? Like, did you intentionally come out thinking I want to get involved in support, or did you, you know the jobs and uh, just lead you that way? Yeah, definitely didn't intentionally think that's what I wanted to do. Like, I think originally when I was going in, I figured I would be building software. Um, but then, you know, I, I did really good at, like, in my compilers class, for example, right? Did phenomenal in it because everyone said, this is the hardest class and no one does good in it. And I was like, oh, I can do that. I'll take that on as a challenge because there were lots of other classes I didn't take on <laughs> as a challenge. And I was like, oh, I don't need to listen right. or pay attention, right? So, um I thought that I would go in and start doing software engineering um, when I had first started it. As I moved farther into it, I definitely didn't want to be on the academic side, right? Deep compiler design. No, no, no. <laughs> had no interest in doing that. Um, when I graduated school, I mean, I think a couple of things happened that led me to support. Like, one is just, like, general imposter syndrome. Like, I like to be, you know, to do things that I'm good at or feel like I can be good at. And I was like, well... I know how to write code, but I don't know how to write code in a team. Or like, I'm not prepared. It was a great theoretical right. degree. Which all computer science degrees are. Yeah, it's right? Like, oh, you're just going to write like, small assignments by yourself, which does yeah, not be fair in real life at all. Yeah, and then, well, wait, how am I supposed to work with these people? <laughs> how does this work? You know, right. so, um, and, and so I think that you know, there was a, a lack of preparedness there. Um, I, you know, my, my wife that I mentioned earlier, right, she got a job um, in a different location back in the Bay Area. I was in school in um, Southern California. And so I went back to the Bay Area with her. We weren't married at the time, but um, and so I was looking for a job, and then I broke my back snowboarding. Oh, um, ouch! And so then I was wasn't looking for a job. I was sitting on a couch for a while, and uh, you know, and then I started writing code as I was recovering. Um, and then ultimately, it was like, okay, well now, like I'm recovered enough that I can get a desk job, so that's cool. Like I need, just need to get a job. And so I knew someone at Sun uh, went and interviewed um, with a whole bunch of people and ended up getting into a support role and just kind of took it from there. Okay, so you're at Sun, which, funny enough, I think we were there at the same time, and, yeah, uh, <laughs> but did not know each other. So, oh, Sun, such a good time. Yep. I actually, I have fond memories of Sun. Sun so, was awesome. It was. It was a good time. Um, and I always say, people like, what happened to Sun? I always tell people, it's like everyone just like drove, uh, you know, a couple exits down and now work at Google because like that's how I remember it. like Sun we made all this money on Spark servers and it was doing great and then there was just like all this crazy stuff that was like oh Java's coming out and like there was just I mean you'd be at Sun there'd be some just the most random stuff would just pop out like oh new version of Solaris oh somebody rewrote a compiler oh check out the zones it was just great I mean yeah. if you were into technology you're like just walking around the office now probably none of that other than the Spark servers like in in a big way, nothing else. It made money, but it just wasn't a problem at the time. That's what people forget. But then when Spark Service didn't make money, it was it was a big problem. Yeah, well, that was it, right? Like, it was an engineer's company, and it was awesome. And there was this amazing technology and all these things coming out. And, like, you're like I want to learn about this. Well, the person who invented it is giving a talk at lunch. Like, yeah. go go listen to that. This is, this is awesome. But we can never monetize anything other than high-end hardware, right? Yeah. And we're a services company. We're not a services company. We love open source. Yeah. We hate open source. It's just you know. a lot of uh, so yeah. We could go. We could do three hours on that. But, <laughs> never uh, mind. But it's true. So, so when you get there, and so you're in support, right? Kind of back to your imposter syndrome. So you're kind of like first day, and I think there's a certain mindset that people that are good at support um, like kind of adopt. So what, kind of like what was your approach when you got in there and you sort of like got, you know start to understand the job? Like what does it mean to do support? for like a, a big company like Sun at that time? Well, it was interesting. Like, So I was supporting Java and the dev tool chain 
initially. Oh, so I can blame you. Yeah, you absolutely <laughs> right. Like you can blame me for any terrible support you got, but you know, upstream, There's I didn't actually write it. So. I don't like enterprise uh, Java beans. So I'm just gonna well, neither do I. So universally hated by everyone. Yeah, Go everybody. On. We all we all hated it, right? Um, and so you know, I got there and I was like, well, I wrote some Java code in college. Like, what do I do? And you know, so you spend a, a day or two meeting the team and sort of getting set up and tools and figuring out process and whatnot. And then my boss was like hey, there's this really irate customer dealing with this other person that you're working with and they don't want to work with them anymore. So this is going to be like your first support call. Good luck. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and that was actually, it was perfect, right? And so when you think about like, what's the support mindset? Like this, this customer had no idea, um, you know, what he was doing. And was very angry that he had no idea what he was doing and it didn't work. And I had no idea what he was doing either, right? But I was just like, let me just talk you off the ledge. And like, oh yeah, that's a tough problem. Let's, let's, let's gather information let's do some basic generic troubleshooting let me do a couple internal searches for stuff hey let me you know why don't you give me a couple hours i'll get back to you and that's just kind of it like okay i'm working on it he feels comfortable get off the call i'm like i have no idea what this guy wants talk to another guy who's been there for you know ever and he's like oh just you know do x y and z i send that to him and he's like oh thank you so much and i was like well why did this have to come to me i'm brand new i have no idea what i'm doing but i think that's part of it is just there is a communication and just do you are you calm when people are you know irate and mad or do you get irate and mad back like if you start yelling when someone else is obviously agitated probably don't want to be in support yeah no i think that's that's a great uh, mindset and i think too as like as we go back because i think we should maybe give some time periods without making us sound too old this is probably like the early aughts like 2000 is it nine is that when you're doing this yeah early 2000s because i mean i think you know even that that time frame because this is sort of like the web is emerging but you know, I think the environment you're describing, and I think this is the environment I started working in as well, is like most of the software that like you know we all were, got paid to work on was something that someone bought like some kind of license for. They installed it themselves, and support was just ideas like, "Hey, I, I, I'm running it. Like I'm the customer running it, and I'm having some problems. Can you help me?" So yeah. it's sort of you know today it seems kind of quaint, but it was like you you sort of were like their backup, right? You know, what I mean? you weren't on the front lines necessarily. That's why that guy called you. Uh, in such a frenzy, right? And yeah. I think, and um, this was at the, about the time that I think people started to use the phrase, like, I don't know if it's still used, like customer care, like the customer care group, which is, yeah. I, I think, because uh, as you kind of alluded to, that a good support person is like part therapist, right? I mean, it is literally the first thing you need to do is like, is are, is the person coming in like, like mad, angry, emotional, and then you have to like walk them down? Or are they just sort of like, or is their stress reaction to maybe like, you know, they don't know what to say. They're embarrassed. They have to call, right? And they're and they're mad at themselves for having to call. So you have to kind of draw it out of them. Like, I mean, if you've been on sport cars, you just like everybody's a little different, right? Or are they kind of um, the person? Like, I put myself in this category. Like, when I have to call uh, my uh, Spectrum or like my internet provider, you know, I'm like, I'm you know, I'm trying to like pre-qualify myself. I know everything. Like, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Don't tell me. I guess I did this. Yes, I rebooted the router. Yes, I did. You know, but then you know, usually I make some obvious mistake along that lines, right? So, um, so I think a good support person is is like a therapist. Like, first I need to assess your mental state. Yeah, and then and then let's work on the real issues. Well, even before the real issues, then it's like, well, now let me figure out how you got to whatever the real <laughs> issues are, because usually they're lying about something, right? Um, or they've forgotten, or they don't realize it. Like I know everything. I couldn't have done everything, anything wrong. Well, let's just walk through how we got here. Oh, this is where your problem is. Um, you know. And then for me, like I started out, and it was it was dev tools and whatnot. So most of the time, it was the majority of my my stuff initially was either individuals having trouble and struggling. I don't know how this, uh, you know, how to leverage Java to make it do something. Mm-hmm. Um, 
or it was licensing for some of the larger dev tools where like we have a thousand seat license for you know the your c plus plus compiler and it's not working anymore and so it was just you know how does how does the licensing work well that progressed to you know enterprise support and so then i moved into like you know glassfish and the whole you know jes and all the middleware right um and then those calls are a lot different where it's like it's one person freaking out initially well now it's like yeah, well, our app server cluster crashed and we're losing thousands of dollars a minute, so maybe we could solve this really quickly, right? <laughs> um, you know, and so you got to you you have to understand like is there personal urgency, is there business urgency, financial urgency, where is that at and just kind of walk them through it, so. Yeah, and so how uh, and then at some point you moved you cuz you started out in California, right? Yep. And, so, and then at some point you made your way to Austin. Yeah. And doing the same stuff support for the same jo- stack of Java products. So I only did um the initial kind of dev tool stuff for about a year. Um, and then I moved into uh, the uh, application server space. Um, and when I came over to uh, Austin, I was still in the application server space, but I had moved into kind of a pilot program where it was focused on, it was like, uh, you know, premium support for certain customers, right? So they, you know, they pay for, you know, half of an engineer's time or something, right? right. So I was on a lot of like weekly calls with people. And I wasn't, I was no longer just answering a phone, like, you know, I'm in a call tree. People would call me and say, hey, we have a problem. And, hey, here's our list of 87 tickets for your terrible software. <laughs> How do we get these addressed? Uh, that type of thing. Um, but, yeah, I moved over to Austin. That was that was one of the beauties of Sun, too, right? When um, uh, we wanted to move, you know, I called my boss, who I had never met in person, who worked in a different – who worked in a, yeah. a Denver area. And I was like, hey, I'm thinking about moving to Austin. And she's like, cool, take some time off. I'll call and get you an office. Like, let me know when. And I was like, that was the easiest conversation ever. It was awesome. Um, and so, yeah, I worked here, and there was no one on my team, but I was around some other people that did uh, similar things. Um, yeah, the, the Wavesight crew, right? Yeah, like, right. You're, uh, you're neck of the that's, woods. That's my, my little area. So, yeah, no, that's cool. So you're, you're doing uh, support down here. And I think, you know, uh, what, what would you say as um, – because I think one thing that's often overlooked – so I'm spending a lot of time in product management in my career, right, is that if you, like, really want to know, like, what's going on, there's, like, if you don't want to, like, obviously, you can go talk to the customers, which everyone should do. But it's for lots of reasons, not always easy to, like, get out to a lot of customers. But it's very easy to usually just, like, walk down the hall or get on the Slack and talk to t- two sets of people. One, customer support and your sales engineers. Like, you can almost um, – and it, it's great if you can do the meetings, like, one set in the morning and one set in the evening. Because in the morning, if you meet with the support guys, it's like, guys, we just need – to make what we have work. Most of the stuff that we say does stuff, it kind of doesn't work. And here, and then they'll go through, especially on the usability side, all these issues. And you're like, yeah, if I had to do this all day, you're right. We probably should make it that searchable. Yeah, we probably, like a pagination, right? Like, yeah, we're, yeah, that you shouldn't have to click through. And it's like, but if you ever want like the state of like, just kind of what it is, you, you go to the support team. But then in the afternoon, like you have a little lunch, you like wash that off you, and then afternoon you go meet with the sales engineers, and they're like, "Wow, we need ten new things. We need these ten new features, right?" And so, um, what what is your mindset around like how does support, or what's a good way for support to channel all of the feedback, all of this frontline feedback from the real paying customers back into the organization? Well, I think I mean a couple of things. I, one is like you should put those two groups together too, so they can just be like, "What are you selling?" and like, "Why are you doing such a terrible job supporting <laughs> what be, we're selling?" That's right? the end like, of the world. That's like a yeah. war tax for the company just yeah. never comes just back. No up. sharp objects, not, you know, <laughs> yeah. padded rooms. But yeah. um, you know, I think that's got to got to bubble up, right? I think that's where better organizations that's they do it with metrics, right? Can you categorize what's coming in, right? And is that their leadership 
actually taking that information and do they actually have a rapport with the product management team with the engineering team um, are they making sure that a percentage of time is going towards getting things fixed because at the end of the day like you know when, you, when you're spending money on engineers to develop stuff usually you're chasing features unless someone's kicking and screaming about stability and a lot of times your customers are kicking and screaming about stability and if it just is it, you know it black holes with support and you don't hear about that either in the product leadership or the engineering leadership then you know eventually you're going to have a retention problem right yeah. so i think that you, that has to come up but i think that's really kind of the leadership's job because usually people in support are just like ah another case of this oh the same thing oh everyone's so mm -hmm. stupid if they could just you know if they could just make our product better why don't they do it right because everyone's got kind of this uh inwardly focused um you know view of my problems are the biggest problems no matter what and everything will work better if you just do what i say yeah well i think you know you obviously are a highly skilled professional cuz you use the key business word there retention right so that's how you like just reflect back uh, the problem, the issues in support, but in the business terms, guys, I'm just, you know, especially if you do a company, I'm just here to make sure that we keep the maintenance stream and our current customers happy. And we need to look at these retention matrix and here's some ideas. And that's like, yeah, boardroom, business exec, everyone's like, it's, you know, you can't be against retention, right? It's like being against puppies. It's like, yeah. no, once you, once you do that, it's like, you wait, but now if you come in with like, oh, my guys are mad and they're frustrated yeah. and they don't, and they, no one will talk to them. It's like, everyone's just like, well, you know, that's fine. Like, that's kind of what we, like, you deal with it, right? You know, Go back to your cave. Yeah, that's what it is. When you come in with a retention, that's just good. All right, so we're at Sun, or you're at Sun. I guess, well, we technically were both there. Yeah. But sadly, Sun came to an end for all of us for one way or the other. Um, but then, you know, what I think it was interesting in your careers, it looks like you went from that to, uh, which I've learned, I think it's actually, the proper term is the Home Depot. The Home Depot. Not Home Depot, yeah. as I say. Home, the Home Depot. But it looks like you transitioned from, from Sun into like you know just taking support calls into Home Depot where you're running operations is that is that generally correct? Yeah, so I was running um, web operations um, for uh, the e-commerce site, right? So I was in kind of the overall um, operations group um, there, and my focus was on the production operations. And I think we should have because I was actually saw some um, Home Depot people, and they were giving some of the most recent stats. And I know it's been a few years since you've been there, but. Uh, like we shouldn't gloss over like the home. I mean, so you're basically this is the the web the web front end, right? You know, e-commerce store. But I don't know. Can you give any numbers like, at least that are like publicly that you were talking about? Like, what's the scale that you were doing at home? Do you have revenue or just traffic? Because it's pretty significant. Yeah. So I mean, the time it was a seventy billion dollar, uh, you know, a year revenue company. I think this year they actually uh, they announced they they broke a hundred billion. Um, so there was a bunch of growth and. You know, if you go into, if you listen to their earnings reports, they would talk a lot about how online was driving a lot of that growth. And so um, it weren't public about the online numbers, but it was in, you know, uh, hundreds of millions when I was there. And I'm sure at this point it's in the billions. Um, and then there was also a lot of, you know, attribution of, hey, we're driving more traffic to the stores. All right. So that was one of the problems, you know, from an analytics point of view, which is, we get a lot of traffic. How much of that is not converting online, but it's actually getting someone to go in and be like, well, I want to hold that hammer. And yes, now I actually want to buy it, right? And how do we actually say, yes, you know, the, the e-commerce site is driving some of that, right? So um, it was an incredible growth during that time. I think they're still going through a whole bunch of growth. Um, and it was just, it was crazy all the yeah. time. But I, I think so. And you, um, you know, there's actually a really good um, uh, episode. I think it's like how I built this with... Um, Arthur uh, Blank, the, mm -hmm. the founder. So if you want to, like, you should go find that. It's a really good interview about him, like, building Home Depot. Like, so, but one of the things, um, 
you know, you kind of like when we were working together, you kind of explained to me it's like there, there's a certain culture of Home Depot, and um, I like met some of the Home Depot tech people, but uh, I, I don't know. I'm just gonna I'm gonna say it's like it's a it's a culture of like uh, big enthusiasm, should we say? Right? Like, I mean, people that like, and I think maybe in retail, especially people working in technology, don't understand like. The, the kind of person that is like a store manager at a Home Depot, like one, it's a big business. Just being the store manager of like one Home Depot is a lot of money, right? I mean, it's a lot of revenue coming in. But two, uh, I don't know, can you describe what you think like the prototypical like Home Depot retail superstar person is like? Yeah, I think there, there's two things that are telling. One of them is like you go onto LinkedIn and you look at people that work at Home Depot, and like half of them, their LinkedIn picture is them wearing their Home Depot apron. Like everyone's got a Home Depot apron. I had a Home Depot apron. I wasn't wearing it in my LinkedIn mm-hmm. picture, um, but I certainly had it. Oh, wait, what is the story? Is that like mandated? Like everyone has to take that picture and like put it on, or is that just like it's a not mandated? Thing? But like you know, people they embrace it. it. They love it, right? Yeah. We have certain events where you have to wear it, like you know, certain town halls, like wear your apron. You know, okay. when you go go to it. So there is like. You know, just like a lot of companies, right? There's kind of that cult mentality, right? Like we we did not mention the blue company because why would we mention them? They were, you know, they were second, right. and and we don't you don't shop there. They don't even exist. They're that. not even a competitor, they right? Yeah. Um, and so you, I think you have some of that, and you see that in a lot of tech companies too, right? Everyone kind of inwardly embraces their culture, and they have their own, you know, the, their own vibe, and it's all semi cult like. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think at Home Depot, like to thrive, uh, one of the things that I was told very early on was like. They take the best, most aggressive, most type A people, and they, they kind of promote them into store managers, right? And those people, like, that's their their own little fiefdom, right? And they, they own it. Like, they live and die by their numbers and, um, you know, how many sales they're making. Uh, and then they take the best people of these 2,000-plus stores, and they promote them into corporate, Right. And then they take the best of those people and they keep on promoting them, right? They do a lot of internal promotions. And so the way it was described to me was like you just like take the most type A and then, you know, smaller subset, the most type A. And by the time you get to like the VP level, everyone's just crazy, right? And this is a VP telling me this, right? Like I'm not, right. not bad about it. He's just like this is just how we are. We're just aggressive. And that's why it's just a gung-ho like get at it mentality. And so um, it is a very aggressive environment, right? Um, now, you know, they, their numbers are doing great. They're making yeah, lots of yeah, money. Well, so. I mean, it, it's like all these things. It's not good or bad. I think it's just, you know, I think sometimes when you shop at the Home Depot, right, and you're just like, I don't know, buying stuff, maybe all of that doesn't come through. But I think the more you get to know some of the people in the company, and I think this is where I want to go. So so, so <laughs> describing that environment, you then go work in operations, right, which – so now you've really so – as, as, and I think this is sort of like how a lot of businesses kind of view this time period, it's like, hey, we all went, like, we had a website, maybe some services, but, like, the web was just a kind of thing, and then we sold something different. Even technology companies, like, we sold software that we sent consultants to, and, and we installed software, and then people like you supported it, right? But then now, like, everyone's sort of moving. It's soft. Now it's the beginning of software as a service, and we need to have online, then we have web stores. And so now you're running operations, right? So now you're the crazy guy on the other end of the line, right? Potentially with, like, losing millions of dollars. So what, what was that transition like? Why did you make it and then what is that job like well i mean it was, it was a couple of things like so personally i made it because we had had our first kid and it was like look son has been really fun but it's been pretty stagnant for a couple of years yeah. and it's probably it's going away the, sometime the soon yeah. yeah right um and so i left son i, I don't know i want to say somewhere between three to six months before it was acquired 
Um, and so it was, I mean, the writing had been on the wall for a couple of years, but I didn't have any responsibilities and it was fun. And so, you it's know, like why bother? It, right? It was like, oh, wait, I'm an adult now. I got responsibilities. I got to go get another job. Um, I had a few offers in the area and, uh, Home Depot was interesting be- for a couple of reasons. One, you know, I was doing lots of projects at my house. I was like, I love Home Depot. It's awesome. <laughs> like, you know, I was like, is there a discount? No, no discount. Oh man, that would have been awesome. I could save so much money. Um, and then two, just like the space was interesting, right? Um, it was interesting to move into something that was going to be, you know, real money on the line, um, real scale, real growth problems. Um, and so I was pretty excited about it. And then, you know, you get into it. What's the, the, the difference? Yeah. Like the difference, you feel all that angst that you're kind of like, why is this person so stressed out? No, I'm stressed out because my job is on the line all the time. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I think that, uh, you know, you, it's, it's that balance. Like how do you keep things running? And how do you keep them growing? And, you know, and then what does the future look like? And none of us are, you know, fortune tellers, but essentially that's what you're doing. Like we're looking at all these charts and this is what's going to happen. You know, we spent six months of the year just preparing for the whole Black Friday weekend. Right. Um, You know, there's no Thanksgiving, no Thanksgiving holidays at Home Depot. Everyone's working. (laughs) So, I mean, it's kind of it is interesting to kind of like think through that. Right. So it's like. You know, I think your day to day, you know, at Sun is more like, hey, you're taking support calls, you're having meetings, you know, you're you're kind of working through issues for other people. So, but now when you're managing an operations team, so it's one planning, it's constant planning for your big events, and then what's the other part of the job? I assume it's a lot of firefighting. Oh yeah, everything is on fire all the time. I had um, at one point, right? I you know, I had a fairly large, uh, a couple large teams, and at one point I had a queue of people, like uh, you know. And it was six people deep waiting to ask me questions at my desk. And they're like – and they would ask me a question. And I'd give them an answer to think about. And they'd go to the back of the line. Like, I, And it was – that was happening. As I'm talking to people on our chat tool, tell, giving them updates, and as I've got – I'm listening to a conference call. Like it was that, – that's the most extreme. But it was always – there were always you know five or six people that needed something. And maybe something's wrong and something is wrong. And how, how wrong is it, right? Um, so, yeah, it was just – it so was what, that. what is the at this point? Like, what's the technology stack look like that you're maintaining at this point? So that was um, uh, mostly IBM for the uh-huh. back end, right? Okay. Um, so WebSphere and DB2, um, and then we used a tool called Endeka for search. Uh-huh. Um, and then I was responsible for uh, the operations of the batch flow, which we used um, Ab Initio for. Um, and you know that was. That's how it kind of and this started. This is mostly like pre-cloud. This is sort of before AWS, and like this is sort of everyone's building. At this point, most everybody's building their own data center, one way or the other. Is yeah, yeah, true? yeah. This was all. Um, this was hosted. I actually we worked in the data center, so like they bought a data center, they split like a bunch of the floor and turned it into cube space, and then part of it was an actual data center still, but our desks were on carpeted raised floor um which is kind of interesting i like it so this yeah. is this isn't private cloud this is like the cloud this yeah, is, this we, is call, like, yeah. we call this yeah. the office yeah, it's very humid in here <laughs> we just go down to the hall yeah exactly so um you know aws was around but i was like uh you know i was like oh that's kind of interesting like like cute idea we'll see what happens um right. you know and uh I, we had another data center um in, in atlanta that's where they're headquartered right so that was like our dr site so right. very traditional multiple data centers one dr you know we do a dr test every year that kind of thing so mm-hmm. so because i think it's interesting now looking back at that it's like because i think what you're describing then is because i think this is also the time that devops starts to emerge right because i think what and i think what you're describing is what like a lot of people were feeling right it's like there's all these operations people and and frankly just the business in general like it's just, it's it's kind of at best controlled chaos, right? It's just there's all this stuff kind of breaking all the time, and then there's all this planning going on. 
Um, and then I don't know, like, were, did you guys start to think about that same problem? Like, where you started thinking about DevOps, or did you come to it like in your own idea, or or, or, or maybe a broader way to say it? Like, were you did you kind of have this reflection moment? Like, this seems wrong the way we're doing this. Like, the fact that six people are continuously asking me questions, there should be a better way. What was your mindset? Oh, I mean, I thought things were wrong like every minute of every day. Like, this is always always seems wrong, right? Like, I I embrace the cranky operator. Like, ah, oh, this is terrible. Why would we do things this way? There's got to be a better way. I know there's a better way. Um, can we do it? Uh, you know, DevOps is interesting. It was kind of the, the sweet spot for that. Um, we had uh, various people, um, sometimes me, sometimes others that attended Velocity conferences, right? And that was always a, a good hub for, um, especially early on, uh, mm-hmm. DevOps, obviously. Um, we, someone printed out like like uh, DevOps in like a little heart and like literally put it on like Right. All the cubes of like my operations team, the release engineering team, the right. development teams that were nearby, and it was just like we're going to be DevOps. But you know, it, DevOps is one of those things where like that is a, a that's a culture change, and it's a culture of enablement. Mm-hmm. But we didn't enable each other. Like, what we need to work better, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, well, we, I think this is the part that's interesting because I think now we kind of all make fun of the DevOps culture talk. Like, you go to a conference, but like when you go back in time, at the time, you're like. Just the fact that there was a word, right? Because I think this is where the movement started. Just the fact that there was like a word that sort of uh, just broadly encapsulated like what we're doing is chaotic and wrong and there should be a better way. I mean, just the fact that that existed was like a huge breakthrough, right? Yeah. I mean, just I mean, it was kind of like group therapy for an industry. It was like, yeah, we're all doing it wrong. We should do this DevOps thing. Even if we don't know what it means, we just know it's an, it's an acknowledgement of what we're doing is wrong and that makes me feel better. Yeah, that that was definitely it. It was, hey, this this will be great. We should definitely do it. Then you start to dig in. They're like, wait, they let their developers release their production? Like, they release multiple times? No. Like, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. on. Hang on. Let's just get back to making it better. Everyone, stop watching that Netflix talk. We don't need to hear that anymore. (laughs) We're done. We're done. We're done doing that. So, All right, so you're at Home Depot, and you clearly firmly embraced an operations. And then – I think you did a little pit stop along the way. We both did at uh, a boundary, right? Oh yeah. And, and you know, it's, this is where uh, for you, like I've pretty much been on the vendor side my entire life in one way or the other, always selling something or trying to sell something. But for you, that was sort of a now it's kind of another shift, right? Because now you went from um, you know being the guy that takes the calls from vendors who're like, I got this product, it'll solve all your problems, uh. to then working at a company that is both trying to say that and. Also, you were in charge of operations to keep that service up and running. So what was that experience like? Uh, that, was, uh, that was interesting, to say the least, right? <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, I think a big part of it, too, was I wanted to go to a startup, um, and I wanted to go to um, a smaller company. And so that was interesting. It, it was funny, like, in the interview at one point, they're like, well, you know, you'll probably have a team of, you know, two or three, maybe four people at some point. I was like, how many people are at the company? And they're like, oh, you know, 50-ish. And I was like, I have more direct reports right now than you have at your entire company. Like, I'm good. Like, whatever numbers you want, that's cool. Like, that's not the problem. Like, let's let's look at other things. Um, it was a lot of fun, and it was interesting because, yeah, like, I got there, and I'm used to, hey, there's all this control and, you know, command and control and all of that, and, and you know, we're here and they're like no no this is we have embraced it we've got a you know all these wonderful microservices and we can make updates whenever we want and you know hopefully no one sees when we have issues and it's like well but we're having issues like what if they, the customers see this and they get mad oh yeah well that that data will disappear quickly right so it was a balance of like what was the internal culture how do we get better how do we try and grow that how do we do you know i was doing a lot more pre-sales stuff a right. lot more post-sales stuff right, right. It, was, it was all over the place so um it was fun, but yeah, it was definitely a big, big shift. 
Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. Definitely, <laughs> I don't even know if I go back and say it was fun. It was crazy. It, was it started fun. It started. It did start fun, and I do think, like any startup, right? There was the nugget of like, because um, like to your point about like DevOps and like understanding all this different technology, it was a company that really internally did everything it could to embrace all of that, um, and you know was at least internally with some success to, trying to put that in, in place, but. Uh, ultimately, right, as like we say in a lot of these other episodes, it's like got to find product market fit. And like that was – we never quite hit the right – and I think maybe that's a question for you too. It's like what it, – because I think something in your career you've gotten a lot of both, I'm sure, at uh, the Home Depot and now at your current role is like, you know, vendors are always coming to you to like pitch something, right, to like, um, you know, solve some problem. So is there anything that like spending at least a little time on the vendor side um, – that gave you an appreciation that now when you when you like take one of these phone calls, are you more sympathetic? Are you less sympathetic? Like, are you like the guy in uh, you know all the movies where like the guy that's really good at cold calling gets a cold call and he's like he tries to teach them how to do it? Like, is that are you the guy that brings in like young people and be like, this is how you pitch a product. This is this is how you talk about <laughs> Come my here, problems. Son. Let me let me let me tell you about this. Um, I'm usually too busy to do that. But every once in a while, my phone rings and I don't have a meeting and I don't have anything going on. I pick it up and someone starts pitching. And, you know, it's a total cold call, and I'll listen to him. I'm like, yeah, you know. And I, I, I have actually told him, like, okay, I still have no idea who you are or what you're selling, so you might want to work on that a little bit more. And I got to run to something else. But you know, just clean it up a little bit. Better elevator pitch. Um, you know, it, it, it's interesting. I think from the like the vendor side, um, you know, it, it's you're always pitching like hey we've got this wonderful thing that's going to make your life easier uh-huh. right and then from the business side you're always like well these are the things i really want right and then it's like is there some sort of reconciliation between those two um and i, I don't think that people always realize like especially when you're talking to a small company like if you've shown like any real interest like you know we would say this a boundary like I really think what you're doing is interesting, but actually I want something completely different. It's like, all oh, stop. We're going to go do this right now because there's right. a potential, right? And so like like understanding that, like, do you really want that? Because you, you have a lot more influence, especially, like I said, with smaller yeah. companies than you might realize. So Yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, the power a big company can uh, have over a very small company at times, right? Or the to your point, the agenda setting is is just enormous, right? So. So yeah, so it's good times with Boundary. You know, fortunately, Boundary ended. We're not millionaires, so we're uh, we're going to continue to work. But Didn't then, work out quite the way we wanted. You know, then I think uh, you transitioned again over to your current role here at Axiom, and I think just the title, right? I think is is sort of like again very illustrative of where the industry is. Like you know, your title now is automation, and I think going back maybe even five, maybe ten years, I don't know, maybe even five years. Like I don't think this this title necessarily existed but i think it, in some ways just the fact that like people are having titles like yours it's sort of you know an acknowledgement of like what was done like this idea this operations mindset uh, at least only exclusively is just crazy right and so the fact that like you know and i think your chart your biggest charter today right is to like make things more efficient make this business run better i don't know so like what how do you describe your job like how does it how is it different than operations yeah so i think when you're at a small company, it's not a whole lot different, right? Like, the like like at Boundary, you know, operations was really around doing a lot of automation and enabling developers to get code out the door faster, right? And then doing automation to make things recover and heal faster, right? Um, when you come to a company like this, who is I actually I knew Axiom before I came to Axiom, right? We we use them at Home Depot, and 
they caused an outage on my website. <laughs> so I was on the phone with Axiom years <laughs> before, that, right? Well. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I was like, I don't know who I know, but I remember talking to someone and I was not happy. <laughs> um, so interesting way to start an interview. Um, and, uh, but, it, you know, uh, we probably shouldn't have had a, you know, a blocking tag on our website either, but, you know, that's not our problem. You know, yeah, you, you fix it. Exactly. Um, and so, you know, you come here, th- this company's been in business for over 40 years. And so should operations be inherently focused on automation yes but it's much larger and they don't have that kind of grounding history and culture of automating things Um, and they have different sets of responsibilities it's not like hey there's this one service that's got a bunch of smaller that's you know one customer facing service which is a bunch of microservices and those people that build them sort of run them themselves it's no we've got a product and a service and a customer deployment or an implementation and when it breaks, we go to a random, you know, group of operations people, you know, using the air quotes there, and those guys follow a run book, and then they escalate, and those guys follow a run book, and then they escalate, and finally you get someone who maybe knows something about it, right? And so how do you actually make that group more efficient? Well, they're, they're in taking calls all day, right? They're not really spending time building things to make things more efficient. So you kind of have a different role here, which is, hey, let's come in. And I've got a team that builds POCs and we build standards and then we do evangelism and we train people and we try and get people on board. And and they say, oh, no, this will never work this way. Like we've got bash scripts that do this. And it's like, well, but maybe they don't do it as efficiently as, you know, the rest of the industry right now. We can kind of iterate on this. We can prove, well, we don't have time to learn how to do that. Well, we'll do it for you. We'll do the initial one for you and then we'll teach you how to do it. And then you can just own it and run with it. Um, And so I think that's where there's a bit of a difference, right, at a larger company, especially an established one where you may need someone to come in that's a little bit outside of some of the defined roles, I think it's probably less prevalent on some of the, even the large companies that are um, much younger, right? Because they just kind of grew up like, you don't have a separate ops group for this. Like everyone's, you got, you got SREs, right? And they're doing that yeah, already. That's, that's their job, right? So, so when you think about automation and, and you're kind of stepping into the role, like, <clears throat> like how do you think of it? Do you think like process first? Do you think about tools? Do you think like... I mean, that's a big – I mean, I think in a company this size, right, it's, it's maybe not obvious, like, where to start. Like, how do you get started, and, and like, what's the mentality you're bringing to, to – trying to bring to the company? Yeah, I mean, that was rough. Like, I, I coming here, it was like, so what should I start with? And I was like, you tell me. How are you going to make <laughs> things better? <laughs> like, justify why we brought you in, right? It wasn't said quite like that, right? Um, the that's team why we have really you. Good, that's but... my favorite manager uh, response of anything. Yeah. It's like you can always do that. If you're managing people, that's a good power thing. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. Why did we hire you? Just yeah. always answer that question. It's like, puts the person on the defensive, yeah. well, and, well, you're, well, and well, you're just like, yeah. and then it ends the conversation. Yeah. Like, go on. So you had that conversation, and then what did you do? Yeah, so it was uh, looking at it. So I did not want to um, – uh, so first I defined – all of the stuff that I'm working on from an automation point of view is around uh, actual like technology improvements, right? So software and, and infrastructure management improvements, right? So whether that's related to releasing software or you know provisioning, deploying infrastructure, patching infrastructure, maintaining it, uh, updating software, any of that type of stuff, that's what we're going to focus on. If we have to address business processes like to facilitate that, like if I need to build a form so that a user can send data in in a you know a specific way so then i can parse it and let it run that's okay but if someone came to me and like hey we've got this this request thing and we have people submit you know send us a word doc and we want a form and then we'll send that to someone else to like figure out what to do with it i don't i don't do that right that's some okay go hire someone they can go do that right (laughs) i only do that if it's going to be used with the computers to actually make other stuff work right okay um so first it was defining that 
And then it was a balance of like, okay, well, when we're doing things, like, am I automating bad processes or right. am I improving the process and with automation? And then that's a balance because sometimes you got you got groups and they're like, well, we've done it like this for you know five years or ten years, and and you don't understand all the intricacies of our process. So it's a balance of you know, I shouldn't come in and be a know-it-all. I've seen a lot in different areas um, and in industry, but I don't necessarily know their individual challenges. And so, you know, how do you walk that line of, well, some of what you're doing is probably could be better um, if you, you know, streamlined your process or you're doing some stuff that just seems like paper pushing, right? Versus fine, we'll just take everything you're doing. These are the outputs I need. And now rather than provisioning a VM manually that takes weeks, we just, you know, do this one thing yeah you fill out the form i'll take what i need and then it's available for you right so has it been like you know i always think because i think mindset is a really interesting thing here because I, I i feel like just in general like i'm i just like seek out automation like i like at home right it's like uh you know if, if we're like my wife and family were like messing around in the home theater and it's like it's just too many steps like i, yeah. I like want to eliminate remote controls and eliminate steps and you know, and sometimes I'll just like immediately like whatever we were about to do. I'm like, I want to work on that. And my wife's like, can we just watch the movie? You know, it's like, um, and so there is like I under- acknowledge different mindsets. Like, it's fine, just do it this way. And then there's, but there's also like a yearning sometimes to fix it. Like, um, I don't know. So I'm just interested. Like, like what's the mindset at a company like this? Is it kind of some of both? Is it um, because I mean, you got to run into some groups who I, I would guess, I would think, but you show up, people are like, thank God someone's here. We've been doing this wrong for like 50 years, and it would be great if we made it better. Um, does that ever happen, or is it just is it always kind of the immediate like go away? You know, I you know I think it's it's kind of like the the 10 80 10 thing, right? <laughs> like 10 percent of people are like this is awesome, I've been waiting for this, let's go. And you got 80 percent of people that are just kind of like I'll just hang back and and see what happens and. Maybe you can make something happen, and, and then I'll get on board, right? Uh-huh. And then you got 10% who are, like, actively working against it. <laughs> like, we can sabotage all of this, <laughs> right? right? We and, can take it down. The deep know, state. The and, deep state of IT. <laughs> and so and usually it's not like we're going to sabotage it. It's really – it's like it, – it's just – real strong argument like this will never work you have no idea why yeah. this won't it's work a, it kind of it's always just a version of like change is hard yeah right? that's right? all i mean every like half the time it's just like yeah change. people don't like to change yeah i get right? it we all don't right? and that's so. this this whole role is just around driving change so <laughs> um yeah that that's definitely interesting i think um you know it's it's proving people uh, proving to people like it can be done showing them so we do a lot of uh, initial implementations like i was mentioning um you know, and even sometimes you get people that are really gung ho about it, and the rest of their team is like, like, calm down, like, like, don't, don't go to the dark side. Like, <laughs> they don't know what they're doing. Like, no, no, we can do it. So we do look like we seek out people that are really, um, you know, passionate about changing something, and then we try and enable them. Like, we use them. Like, well, hey, if your team doesn't want to embrace all of this, what are you doing specifically day to day? And I'll make your job super easy. Yeah. Um, and then eventually, people are like, well, why is you know why is Bob working less nowadays? Like, well, because you know. Automation. It's great. Some of that. So, what about? So, let's talk about the tools. I mean, have you found any of the the tools or any of the technology that that helps drive this automation? Because there's obviously a, a million vendors. A lot of them, I know, friends with them, that would obviously be making the pitch that like you, the right tools that you you pick you pick can can really speed this along. Have you found that to be the case? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, we certainly have our tool sets, 
do they do they speed it along or do they they slow it down? We should, do, they... we should do a little rapid fire. All right, I'm gonna put you on the spot because I know like I think you use chef, right? Yes, you chef. Gotta, we consolidated course, on that. I would say, of course, Matt Ray, friend of the, I mean, co-host of the yeah. podcast, uh, and then JJ. You know, he I, mm-hmm. I, we can have JJ up here in an hour if something's wrong. So yeah, like, it'd be so, perfect. So is it going well? Is it? I mean, have, has the chef thing? Is it? Have have, have people embraced it? Has it worked well for you? Um, is it going well? <laughs> yes. Have people embraced it? Mm, sort of. It, that's been a really long right. road, right? Is like that's a- been really tough for people because a lot of the this group too, like when you look at it, like a lot of IT here, they are systems administrators or systems engineers, and they've really never been exposed to like being forced to develop. And there's a handful of them that write, you know, a lot of scripts, um, but a lot of them like that's just that's been outside of their wheelhouse. And so it's you know we're training people from the ground up. And they're like, well, yeah, but we, do we really need this? Like, it seems like a lot of upfront work, right? And it is a lot of upfront work, but obviously it should pay off dividends later on. Um, it, we are definitely, um, you know, all of our new deployments are deployed uh, on the Linux side with, uh, you know, with Chef for all of its configuration for the base. And then we have application stacks and middleware that are all leveraging Chef. Like, it's getting there. It's great. Um, is everyone writing their own cookbooks and doing their own updates right now? No. A lot of it funnels back to my team. We got a couple pockets. Um, so good improvements. It's just like, coming from an operations point of view, right? Like, you know, my my view is always like faster, faster, more, more. Come on. Like, why can't we do this? Like, just, just this is the direction. We're all agreed. Get on board. Let's learn it. Let's, let's move. And people are like, yeah, let's slow it down a little bit. Let's take our time. So it's just uh, slower than I would like it to be. Yeah. Well, I think that's the case everywhere. And I, I do think um, – yeah, sometimes there's always this tendency when you don't have to like use the tools day to day to like gloss over it. Like, ah, it's like all the tools are the same. It's fine. But like, I know I, I've just sort of rediscovered in my own life as like when you have to like go learn something like really new and, you know, you were probably pretty pro- – like your case, like these guys like really proficient at it. Like even, even if we look at that technology, it's like, hey, you shouldn't write bash scripts. They're not really maintainable. There's a lot of problems there. But like when you're really good at doing it, you can get, you know what I mean? Every yeah. day you get work done, you feel like you've really added value and you're like, and you can be very, very productive. And, you know, the notion of like embracing any new tool and having to become proficient at it, like, you know, a whole day can go by and you just like mess up some configuration thing and you just, and it's like, you know, two years from now, you'll know right away what that error is. But like, you have to fight through like, oh, I, I did this and I did this and I didn't configure that wrong, right? Like I just – I was doing some like personal programming and I messed up the Java equals, the equals equals versus the equals. And I was like – it took me like an hour and I was just like – I was just so disappointed in myself. Like I was like I can't believe I messed this error up again. But like I get it. Like so I think sometimes when people – there's always a a tendency to like put it on the person like, hey – you know, but really, what it is, what I think people are feeling a lot, is like I'm not going to be productive for a while. It's going to take me, like, think about like a chef, right? A cookbooks, like, to be good at it, you got to really do it a while, right? And be, and I and I, I think that's all of these tools. And so when someone comes in, it's like, great, we got to learn like a whole new set of tools. You know, although I guess I kind of I like that, but you don't like you don't want to do it under the gun, right? When you have to like keep things doing. So I don't know. I, I sympathize with all those people. Oh yeah, absolutely. All right. There's an expertise thing, and usually you develop an expertise at a job because you're using it to solve a, a problem. That I think the issue here is that the problems have changed, and not everyone has agreed that the problems have changed. Right? Like the problem now is like we just got for our scale, right? Do we need this many people managing this these these particular areas and you know, and then that turns into, well, if you don't need this many people, like, am I automating my job away? <laughs> but that gets back to what we were talking about earlier. No, like, there's these other 50 things on the list, like, you know, that we could absolutely get someone to work on 
it, it's just not getting done right now, right? Yeah. The, the work is not going away. And I, I tell my team, and I've been telling people this, you know, for years since the Home Depot days, like, like no one gets fired for automating things too much. Like they get more jobs and they get more jobs. Like it's like that's <laughs> they get a gold. chance to do better. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I think it, it's definitely a balance, and it is a learning curve, and it, it's non-trivial. I mean, chef is, I would say, is you know, it's certainly not rocket science, but it is non-trivial, and you have to spend. It, it's not something where. I've ever seen someone be like, oh, I'm just going to spend two hours. I'm going to watch one talk. And then, like, I'll know enough to kind of get by, and I'll just sort of learn it over time. Like, no, you have to make an initial time investment um, and sit down for a week or two and just sort of learn it, learn the methodology. And then we make it more complicated here because we have our whole business model is so varied, right? It's not like we do the same thing over and over and over again. We do a bunch of things for a bunch of customers in custom ways. And so to support that with automation is challenging. So then we have some eccentric use cases um, and some advanced use cases. And then people are like, why do you make, take something that's already difficult for me and make it super hard for us? It's like, well, we're trying because no one wants to change process. So it is, um, it's an interesting balance. And there's always definitely, uh, you know, um, I do empathize with people, but it's always just like, come on, yeah. guys, we're getting there. We're getting there. We're like, we'll support you. We'll, you know, we went uh, to the chef conference a, a couple of years ago, and it was like, uh, I think the theme was um, was was hugs that year. And I was like, this is perfect. This is what we need. Just like, come here. It's going to be okay. Like, just bring it in. Like, we got you. So, um, you know, we, we try to do that. Lot. I think that's Nathan at Chef. There's a lot of hugging at Chef, which yeah. is good. It's a good metaphor, right? Because it is kind of true. All right. So what about the cloud? I mean, everybody, right? You know, the cloud. We're moving to the cloud. AWS, Google. Microsoft, IBM, Oracle, whoever, like, what's, what is your mentality? What's Axiom doing here? Are you guys looking at the cloud? Are you doing private data center? What, how are you figuring this out? Yeah, so we, um, we put our, our data and our services where our customers uh, want them. A lot of them like the controls we have within our own data center, so predominantly uh, we're within our own. Um, and we have a private cloud offering, um, and so we, uh, we leverage uh, VMware tooling for that. And so we have our own private cloud. Uh, I spend a, a fair amount of time um, working on that, working with the teams that work on that. Um, we also leverage the external clouds. AWS is definitely kind of like the biggest presence. Um, you know, I don't think we have a tremendous amount in uh, Google. Um, you know, Microsoft, there's a bit, uh, it kind of seems like something goes in for a little while because there's some interesting, uh, you know, SaaS offering that one of the vendors is providing. Um, and like, oh, we want to use that. And it's like, oh, well, this customer doesn't want it anymore or it's cheaper to just run it internally. So, um, so you're moving stuff yeah. around, it sounds like. Yeah. In and, out. and then what about, you know, <clears throat> the industry, like the, you know, myself included, we spend a lot of time talking about Kubernetes and containers and Istio and all that. Like, you know, so you're on the front lines here. Like, are you even getting involved in this madness or are you taking a wait and see attitude? What's your mentality? The only production container use i think is like from my own team uh-huh. right now <laughs> right so it's like we uh we get to we, we gotta you know eat our own dog food for sure um and we get to test a lot of stuff out and sometimes it's appropriate um there's a lot of uh you know we're definitely a heavily audited uh organization right and so the audits and the controls and compliance is a big reason why people leverage axiom and so we don't go into any new space or any new pattern lightly Right. right. And so it's a matter of, well, do we have all like yeah, containers are fantastic. Um, and but do we have the right tooling to keep the controls in place and to leverage them effectively and to monitor them effectively? And because of the way our, our, we're structured and because we have enterprise operations and whatnot, like or do people have the insight they need to actually run this? And, and so um, 
you know, we're not uh, we're not really there yet. I think um, it's definitely something we look at. I think the other thing is we're a data company, so we don't have uh, lots and lots of little services. We have lots of really big services, um, and so you know, we we talk about containers like we have lots of groups where we're like we're not going to virtualize this. There's there's no need or reason for us to virtualize this. We're you know we're running this this whole machine full tilt all the time, right? So <laughs> like we're, we're bare metal yeah, to the bottom. Right. We, we we can use it. Okay, so that's good. And then um you know before we get out of here, a couple more things. Well, we got to talk about monitoring. So I mean, because that's like you know yeah. that's, that's where we spend some time. So so one, I'm just like I tell everyone that works in any position like yourself, like one, I know you have Nagios. I'm sure you're using some Nagios no. somewhere in this company. Well, that, I shouldn't say no. I, I mean, say, there's a scattering. I'm, I'm been, gonna leave. If you say no, I'm going to start walking the halls, and I'm going to find a Nagios dashboard, a Graphite dashboard off some Nagios information if I look hard enough here. So, so technically, I'm responsible for, for <laughs> monitoring as well, right? So my title is automation, and then there's, you know, there's all these other things. And then when they come up, I'm like, that's not re- my it's real really, job. And also, it's now observability. No, monitoring is dead. Yeah. It's now observed. Yes, so exactly. Okay, right. so like, and you're on your business card and, and, and tiny font, you yeah. have that job. Yeah. All right, well, well, that's good. Then how are you approaching monitoring? So we, um, when I came in, it was uh, lots of disparate tools. There was a little bit of Nagios. Um, <laughs> there was uh, Isinga, which is a fork of that. There was discussion of going to Isinga 2. Oh, really? Which, wow, oddly yeah. enough, is a new version of Isinga. <laughs> um, we looked at a bunch of things. I um, ended up uh, bringing in uh, one of your old companies in, Xenos. Uh, uh, yes. And so we leveraged them. So we, uh, we did a couple of things. One, we, had, we did not have a good um, overall event management platform, and mm-hmm. we didn't have a good event management strategy. So we started with looking at it from that. I have all these disparate sources, all these disparate tools, some environments, you know, some network zones, some products have good monitoring standards. But there's no enterprise standard for everything, and it's all over the place, and you never know what you're going to get. So what we need is I need to take everything that's being generated. I need to be able to consolidate that from an event point of view. I need to integrate that with our ITSM tools. We use ServiceNow for that. Okay. Everybody uses ServiceNow, right? Yep. So we looked at a few different things. We looked at some of you know, the big players. I didn't want to go to the big players because I've worked with them in the past. <laughs> we looked at some of the smaller ones. We eventually decided hey, you know, uh, we'll, we'll leverage Xenos for this. Um, and then, hey, we'll also use it for some of the other things like – Typically, you don't buy Xenos for event management, but some of its integration with ServiceNow and some of the other things it did, like it started to layer in together. It looked like it would be a pretty good direction for us to go. Um, so we use it uh, as our core platform as well as using it for like availability monitoring um, and some level of performance monitoring. And then we have other systems um, for telemetry, right? So we use um, logging. Um, we had Splunk. We still have some Splunk. But primarily, uh, that's focused on the Elk stack. Um, and so we've got a, a reasonable size deployment of that. Um, and then that also generates events that get sent back into Xenos and then we, you know, our rules um, coordinate with. And then we also use InfluxDB and uh, kind of a bastardized tick stack. Um, and so that's for all of our metrics, right? So all of our time series telemetry, um, that goes into Influx. Um, that is kind of like a like an add-on here. Like, hey, this is really cool. You guys want to see some time series data here? They're like, right. that looks awesome. How do we get that? I'm like, here, like, install some agents. Ooh, that seems like a lot of work. No, like, here, just, like, <laughs> put chef, the chef client on and just, like, add the global role and it, it just it's magically appears. They're like, oh, I don't know that we want to do that. Like, what's the chef thing, right? Because, 
again, lots and lots of different teams and stuff. Yeah, and I think that's the whole thing. It's to get the full value, right? You have to make several sales. It's like, well, yes. okay, you want you want this dashboard. Well, let's and then go, and then you're all the way back at the beginning. Well, you got to learn. And then somebody's like, why do I got to learn Chef? Well, like you see this dashboard, oh, it's got this, got this data, right? And that's part of why my responsibilities are the way they are. Like so, like I've got release engineering as well. Um, and, and so when you look at it, it's like. I leverage one to push the other, yeah. right? Like it's a, I'm I'm cross-selling <laughs> within my own area. Like like we want chef. Oh, cool! Like here, we'll get you enabled, and we'll get your you know this this application. You know, we'll get a cookbook written for you. And like, oh, cool! Now that all the monitoring is working for them, right? You know, oh, <laughs> so like now, we want monitoring. And now you can see what's going on over <laughs> yeah, there. So. Exactly right. All right. So it, it all layers in. Um, we got a bunch of other tools too. We have custom tools. We wrote our own custom dashboards for looking at things everybody does that um we've got different tools for you know synthetic you know and apm that type of stuff so. all that stuff so yeah. yeah you always got a lot of tools all right so well i guess um as we think about this year like anything specifically on either the technology side or project side that's like going to be new and exciting or is there something like like you're going to try to go figure out containers more you're going to try to figure out the cloud thing is it more of just like you know, blocking and tackling, like what are your priorities going forward this year? Yeah, so we want to overhaul some of the event management space um, in that, that we're leveraging. One of the things that we really focused on here is kind of the, the you know, the matrix problem of we have to uh, monitor lots of devices and we have to get events from lots of devices. And every time we go touch one of those devices, it's expensive, right? Because it's all unique and the way we're like uh, an MSP that doesn't, operate very well in that like we have like oh you got 100 clients and we do things uh, not 100 different ways just like 90 different ways right and so going to touch all those is expensive so when we put something like an agent on we leverage um you know an intermediary layer like something like kafka right and we and then we extract from the back end we pull from that right and so we want to overhaul that so that we can actually move that data to more and more sources and do more interesting things and get rid of some single points of failure, that type of thing. Um, we actually have a, um, a project called Florit. Uh, it's open source on GitHub, um, and that is container-based. And right. it's kind of a, a, a platform. So say it again, Florit? Florit, F-L-O-R-E-T. Right. We'll put it in the show notes so yeah, people so. can go check it out. Yeah, and um, we're looking to uh, – we use it in a couple application spaces right now for some things that we're doing. And now we're actually looking to roll it out and kind of replace it as kind of the intermediary for all of our um, event management. So that's fun. That's exciting. Um, and I think that that will um, – it will help other people send in data and uh, events that we can kind of use to get a better picture of things from a monitoring perspective. All right, fantastic. All right, well, well if, um, if, if people are excited about these problems, you know, is there – are you hiring? Are there places? always hiring? Always hiring. So yeah. I, I, I can see uh, I, probably if you work here at Axiom that you can get a great T-shirt. I see you're wearing it today. You're yeah. on brand. It's a it's like a light gray with like some cool logo on it. So you're probably hiring what like DevOps guys, operations guys, like yeah. So right now for? we're hiring. Um, I mean, there's a, there's a lot at Axiom in general. My team, I'm always hiring people in kind of the SRE space. Um, we're we got a rec for um, a release engineer right now. Um, which is kind of the SRE space, kind of the traditional release engineering space. Um, and we're always looking for people that can, you know, write chef and automate things and are gung-ho and interested about All it. All right, so. and you're based here in uh, lovely Austin. I can attest we're at your lovely office today. It's very nice, very nice yeah. view. Yeah, Austin's great. So, so uh, you know, we're all over the – we have um, – we're in Conway, Arkansas is the big, big hub, and then we've got offices everywhere, and we got some remote folks. So, so you're everywhere. Yeah. So, all right, well, come work for Chris. Um, help him uh, automate automate the world. All right, well, listen, you know, the closing question I like to end, um, end on is just sort of just open-ended, you know. So um, – what is something that you know 
that you wish other people knew? So this came up just just recently. Mm-hmm. I hope I didn't tell you about this because you know I know we we talked to not too long ago, but you know I was down at the beach, and we've got this this canopy um, that we set up you know for some shade. And uh, it's super windy there. Like, I've been there before, and, like, and you just see, like, all these broken, mangled canopy carcasses <laughs> all over the place because right. people don't secure them and whatnot. Um, I've got these, these uh, they're, they're considered um, stakes, but they're not actually, like, a traditional tent stake. They're, they're actually made for snow and for sand. Okay. And they're just like a, like a little layer of canvas with, like, some paracord or some rope between them hooked up to a carabiner. And you bury those, uh-huh. and they, you fan them out, and you bury them, and then you put the, you know, the sand or the snow back on them. Right. And they are rock solid, right? Okay. And so I know it's a little offbeat, but everybody should have a set of four of those for, you know, anytime you're going to secure something in high winds, they're awesome. Because I think that's, that's really what you need. What you're saying is, like, just go the whole way. Get get the real steak. Because like, yeah. you know, like the ones that you get. Because um, I recently bought a tent, and like the steaks are just like these tiny things. And like you hit it, and it bends. And you're like, oh, this is not going <laughs> to. Then, then you're like twisting it. Like, <laughs> and then, well, maybe I can make it work. <laughs> no, absolutely. So, so secret of life. And I do think it's a good beach beach or camping thing. Is like just upgrade, upgrade yeah. the steaks. Everything so, right. Like go it. go a little 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 higher end on everything. You'll be happier. All right, well, that's fantastic. Well, Chris. Thank you for being on the show. I want to remind everybody you've been listening to Software Defined Interviews, our podcast where we interview luminaries like Chris Donaldson. And um, we always appreciate you listening. If you want to listen, give us a a great review in in iTunes. Just five stars. That's all we need. If you don't want to put five stars, don't have to say anything. Don't have to be negative either. Uh, And we also have our other podcasts, uh, softwaredefinedtalk.com, where me, Matt Ray, and Michael Cote kind of recap interesting technology events. And if you'd like a sticker, uh, we have, have stickers, which Chris is about to get a bunch of them and, um, as we walk around his office. But you can just email your mailing address at stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com, and I will send you a sticker. And you can put it on your laptop or put it on your Yeti or wherever you want it or put it on your T-shirts, and it will be great. So thanks again to Chris, and we will talk to you all next time.